That was a lot, I know. <laughs> but I wanted you to see what it looks like to get on the fast web database. Here's why I recommend that one over any of the others. It is the largest database. And I do mean tremendously huge. It's been around for, oh gosh, 20 years, maybe more. I really don't know. It's ridiculous. It is the go-to for scholarship for companies who are offering scholarships to pay to put their scholarship on there. That's why it's free to you, okay? When it comes to the other databases that are available, uh, Scholarly was one that some asked about, and there are others. My blog post about Raise Me, please read that. It's important. Um, don't recommend that at all. Uh, any of the other databases that are legitimate are still going to be smaller. You're going to find some, uh, probably a lot of repe repeats from what you find in, uh, in the fast web. It's not that you shouldn't go to them. By all means, if, if something runs across and it's on that database, absolutely. Because you may have missed it on fast web or you just didn't write it down or it might be something new that fast web doesn't have yet. Or maybe Scholarly isn't charging as much or niche.com isn't charging them as much to list it, right? As FastWeb might. So uh, there are a lot of options. You're going to end up going to, I'm gonna guess three to four databases at the most at any one point in time. Cause it really is not worth sticking with a database that has less than a quarter of the scholarships that are available in all honesty. And yes, Diana mentioned Scholarly is not free. I think it's about $45 a year to participate in that. Yeah, there are a lot of little databases after college scholarship database. College board has their own database. Most of the scholarships are for US universities. There are other scholarship databases specifically for international universities. But FastWeb is mostly for, for US. However, some of them don't tell you it has to go to a specific type of college. Some of them do say must be an accredited college or university in the U.S. Nine times out of 10, they are actually sending the money directly to the school when you win. Okay. There are other scholarships that send a check to the student. They don't care how you use it or where you use it. Catherine asks, I see scholarships offered by ethnic organizations. Should we assume that the recipients will be of the same ethnicity? Yes and no. Some of them are very specific. For example, I'm from Italian heritage. So we did have my kids apply to the scholarships that were for Italian heritage. I've seen scholarships from organizations that did not have anything in the scholarship name or in the uh, information that it was for a specific nationality or ethnicity. However, every photograph of every winner was of a specific ethnicity. That should tell you something. And some of these actually said you had to send a photograph of the student as part of the application. Uh, look into it because it certainly might be that anyone can apply. PSAT semifinalists get full ride at public schools. Depends on the school. First, let me address what the PSAT exam is. The PSAT is an exam taken in the high school junior year. 
it is the qualifying exam for the National Merit Scholarship. Now, both of my children won National Merit Scholarship money. A lot of people out there, a lot of professionals I've heard say, PSAT exam, it's just a practice SAT. Don't worry about it. Don't stress over it. It is not. The PSAT exam is the preliminary SAT. As I mentioned, it is the qualifying exam for National Merit Scholarship. So why should you care about the National Merit Scholarship? A lot of people think that's only for geniuses, you know, valedictorians, whatever. Not true. Number one, you are only competing against students in your state, period, for national merit. Number two, there are 8,000 national merit scholars, 8,000 first place winners every single year. Name one other scholarship that does that. It even comes close. The PSAT exam is just another exam, just like the ACT or the SAT. It can be beaten. But just showing up for it for the first time, it's unlikely for most students that you're going to do that well. Just like the SAT and ACT, you've really got to practice and study and understand the strategies for test taking, just like you do for the others. Here's to the actual question. Does PSAT semifinalists get full rides at public schools, at particular schools, and it's very few, that give a scholarship for semifinalists? Finalists and scholars are in the top 1% of test takers for that particular exam that year in their state. So there's more scholarships, more schools that offer scholarships for that purpose. But there are ones for semifinalists. It just depends on the school. And I do have a list of that that I offer to my parents in my course. Someone mentioned that they had found links to scholarships on FastWeb that aren't secure. So they're hesitant about using them. Can you speak to that? And should you be hesitant? I would not be hesitant about pretty much anything that FastWeb has on there. I would be more hesitant about applying for a no essay scholarship that was found anywhere, FastWeb or otherwise, uh, than I would for anything else. The not secure has more to do with the firewalls in your computer for a particular website link. Now, is it possible that a website link has been hijacked? Absolutely, it's happened to me. Okay, so Mr. Nee, so the yes, question is, would you ever write down those authors if they have books? Have you used them like Christine Alice's book or Ben Kaplan's books? When I was doing all the searches for my kids, it, it's okay to use books, but I didn't because everything is online. The only time something is not online is if it's a local scholarship opportunity that is just for people in that particular locale. They're not gonna bother, well, they may not bother putting it on their website for their company. It may be an application that they're giving to the local high school counselors. And you may have to call the company and ask, hey, can I get one too? My kid is homeschooled, if they're homeschooled. So that's the only time you're not gonna find it online. During COVID, I mentioned way earlier that during the, the COVID thing for the first year, I had 10 brand new scholarships come to me from small companies. Why do they come to people like me? Because they don't want to pay FastWeb and they don't want 100,000 applications. They're a small company. They're going to hand all this stuff off to a secretary somewhere to sort through them and figure out what's what and figure out who gets to win, right? 
so they don't want tens of thousands of applications. They're hoping for, you know, a couple, two or three or 10 from each uh, consultant that they operate with. I hope that answers your question. But isn't there a way for you to still get scholarships and still graduate earlier and not have to take all the lower level classes and get to have a good time in your junior level classes if you do well through the testing out of courses? You're talking about maybe testing out of courses through CLEP or through AP exams right. to, to reduce the no, no, amount of time that you're in college. Absolutely, that's a great way to go. Except, oh, huge caveat there. Not every college or university for the four-year degree will accept, will accept all of those prior either courses or testing out of classes. I've known students who took 60 hours of community college, hoping to delete two whole years of college, only to find out that the colleges they wanted to attend for their four-year degree accepted very little, like nine hours out of 60. So you have to go into this with your eyes open when it comes to clepping out of, testing out of, or taking classes early. Depending on your state, some states have like a conglomerate of schools that work together so that you know the community college or this other college courses will transfer to your degree program in the four-year college that you want to actually graduate from. The other thing to note is that many schools, many of the four-year colleges, when you call to ask, okay, so my kid is taking classes at this other school, will they transfer? They're going to say yes. Their definition and your definition are two different things. Understand this, please. When they say yes, they will transfer, it means it will show up on the transcript. But the odds are good, depending on the courses and where it came from, that it will not count toward your teen's degree path. Is it good to take AP classes and dual enrollment classes? Absolutely. Because what that really tells your four-year college is that you can do the work your teen can actually complete and do well in rigorous courses and college level courses. So it is good to have some of that under your belt. But personally, unless you've done the research and you know that, okay, my student is going to be applying probably to at least one school that will accept all of their classes, I'd rather not have two years worth, 60 hours worth of courses and not know if they're actually going to apply toward the four-year degree. So did I answer your question? Thank you so much. Okay. That's where people say it's a good thing. Like I transferred from undergrad, from community college to, it, doesn't it depend on the major and a lot of it depends? Isn't that there's the a, best answer? There's a lot of it depends. Now, if you stay within a state system, that state system of schools has, usually has a chart, basically a spreadsheet that shows you what's co which college classes from which college will be a direct transfer, in other words, in your college major, to a specific other college course in these other schools. That is awesome, because now you know for a fact that, oh, none of these four-year schools accept biology. They all want you to take biology as your, you know, gen ed class in their four-year school. They don't want to accept it from anywhere. I don't know why. My kids hated biology but they had to take it there. 
having that kind of information ahead of time is really important. Yes, I actually have a question. Go for it, babe. Um, I have some special needs children. Do you um, research any for special needs children scholarships? One of the things that you'll find is that when you are looking for scholarships, whatever that special need is, will be in your criteria for your search. So does that make sense? For example, if you're, I don't know, whatever the, whatever it might like, be. I have some autism kids, for yes. example. So. You will search scholarships, college scholarships for autistic children, or you'll use autism instead of autistic either way to find those scholarships. There are scholarships for disabilities, for various disabilities. The course is 1997 if you pay in a one pay, or I have a payment plan if you'd prefer, which is three payments of 1025. I prefer to save a grand, that's just me. I will find a way. And if you're in the US and maybe your credit card charges a lot of money, contact me because I have a resource for US citizens only that actually will do a payment plan for 12 months, sometimes even 18 months with zero interest. So if that's of interest to you, let me know as well. One of the things that we do in my course is we will craft your teen's activities from the beginning of high school all the way through so that colleges will sit up and take notice. And someone asked about, what if the parent's income is above six figures? Is it possible for the student to qualify for any scholarships? Oh, Natalia, yes, yes, yes. By the time my kids were applying and winning this $199,000, we were back up to making six figures. So absolutely, the college itself is going to want to know if you're need-based or not. And if you're not need-based, if your teen, you know, the family has some money, then what you're going to be looking at is scholarships for merit-based, so grades and test scores. Outside of the big money the college is offering, then to supplement that, what we've done today is look at where to find private scholarships, those that are outside of the college's purview. So yes, there will be some that will ask about your income. Even the Elks Most Valuable Student Scholarship, there is a financial aid or a financial need portion. However, even making six figures, my kids won. Part of winning scholarships is being willing to actually apply. There will be scholarships that will be very specific. It'll say, must be making under $30,000 a year, or your child must be in the food program at school. That tells you they're looking for a really deep need. But others, don't count on it. Just because it says there's a financial need focus, or you know they're asking for whatever it was on your tax form, don't think for a minute that you might not qualify. Let me give you an example about the difference in perspective on financial need. You may or may not be aware that there's something called the net price calculator that every college and university in the US is required by law to have. Now to find the net price calculator on a school's website can be difficult. So I don't search for it within the school website. I just Google it the words net price calculator and the name of the school. It'll take you directly to the link for the calculator. They do not save your information. It is strictly for your information only. You will fill it out. It'll ask for parent income, 
It'll ask for students' income. It might ask for assets or savings. It may ask for the student's GPA. It may ask for their test scores. Then when you hit submit, it's going to come up with a list of items. Those items will include, unfortunately, student loans. It'll tell you what the cost of attendance is. And it'll subtract things like student loans, parent loans, the amount of cash that you're expected to come up with, or they just call it parent contribution. Okay, that's cash. And if the school offers scholarships, it may actually say, may be eligible for this particular scholarship in this particular amount. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because I went to Harvard's website and just for grins, I said, okay, what if the family is making $150,000 a year? And the student, of course, you have to get admitted, right? This is not about admission. This is just about the money. But if a family is making 150 grand, Harvard thinks you're need-based. And the outcome may be that you only have to come up with $20,000 a year. Now I say only, because I know that's still, you know, like we do have a house, right? Uh, but that's better than 70K a year, right? So what I'm saying is that your definition of financial need is completely different from someone else's. So if they're not very specific, saying you must, I don't know, be on food stamps or whatever the criteria might be, then throw your name in the hat, do the essay, go ahead and, and fill out the application. You have nothing to lose and you may have everything to win. Honors college, ooh, let's chat about an honors college. Yeah, if your teen has some really good grades in high school and really good test scores, there's a really good chance that the colleges or universities that they're applying to will offer, ooh, you can be in the honors college. It sounds really cool. And it really is an honor to be invited. But ask what's really included in this and what the benefits are. Here's why. I was lucky enough to have had students that went before mine and their experience with the honors college wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Sure, one of the perks supposedly of being in an honors college is they get to register for classes first. So they don't miss out on not being able to get into a class that they need that semester. Depending on the track your kid is on, odds are that's not going to matter anyway. Number two, because as they increase in their uh, university level, as they get to junior level, et, et cetera, they're already going to be scheduling classes before the lower level. Uh, students are. Another thing that can be typical with an honors college admit is that the student will have to take honors courses. In other words, the same course that they would take regular entry student has to have an H next to it, which means there's going to be more work. Many times or most of the time I've seen where they have to take an honors class every single semester in order to keep their honors status or whatever. The problem with this is that it's a lot more work. The second problem with this is that nobody cares. No one cares. When your student's transcript, college transcript, has an H next to a few of those classes, no one cares. If they get a nice little sticker on their diploma because they completed whatever, whatever honors program, or they did some communications, blah, 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 and got a sticker. All that means is that they did more work for a sticker or to have an H on their transcript. 
Most of the students I know that went through an honors program in their school came back afterwards and said, I wish I had not done it. It was extra work for no benefit, no real tangible benefit. You're not gonna get more money for your employment afterwards. It's your employer coming up doesn't care. They're looking at your grades. They don't care if the course has an H next to it. So just that's my personal opinion on honors colleges. Find out what they really get out of that deal. Sometimes it comes with a scholarship, so that could be useful. So just check it out and say, if your student is not sure about what they want to do for a living, there are some really good career people that can help them hone in what career path they might need to go into. And it is really good if they, if they really know earlier than later what they want to do for a living, they can hone their high school path and even college internships. But without doing that, 80% of college students change their major during college at least once. Now, changing your major isn't always a bad idea, but if you go from, let's say, a business degree to an engineering degree, you may have to go an extra year or two, depending on when you made that choice. So definitely, if your teen is not sure about what their career choice is, what their path is, and not just, oh, I'm going to be a mechanical engineer, but what industry? Every company, pretty much, has some type of engineering Every company has some type of business. So what field, what area of work might you be interested in? Do you want to work with people? Do you, would you rather be in a cubicle? You know, so a lot of different aspects for making that choice. And when you are able to hone in and say, yeah, I got this, then there are definitely some things that they can do to make themselves more, more enticing to internships, et cetera. And one of the things that we'll talk about in Cracking the Code to Free College is college internships. Yeah, hi. I, yeah, I put this question in the chat, um, but I think maybe it's better if I just speak to you about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So it's, this is actually about need-based aid. I have, my oldest child was just accepted. You know, his, his acceptances have come in. Um, he's accepted to four colleges. Well, five actually, but four of them were private schools. And the need-based aid ranges from zero to 18,000. Um, how do they determine this? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good one. Every college has their own calculator. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've used the net price calculator on the college's website, that number that comes out from the calculator should not be vastly different from what you have to pay that's in the actual financial aid letter that they send to you. Mm -hmm. And if it is vastly different, then you need to call the college and say, hey, look, it said this, I took a screenshot, um, where's the money? Okay, so that's just one thing everybody needs to know about. Okay, the money that I put into the FAFSA, that was back in October. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like what we had in, in stocks, et cetera, I mean, I was, I, I put it in down to the penny. Okay, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. since then, yeah. Certainly it has changed, but here's the deal. Yeah, okay. And this is where a lot of parents make mistakes. So I'm going to review real quickly a few errors that people generally make on the FAFSA that ends up costing them money, basically. Uh -huh. one, one is the parent filling out all the information. And what can happen is the parent can accidentally put parent financial information into the student section of the application. That happens a lot, especially if the parent is sitting in the chair, because the mm -hmm. application says to put your info and they're talking to you because you're sitting in the chair. 
but mm -hmm. actually the entire application is considered to be from the student's point of view. So that's error number one. Number two, when it comes to your assets, yes, they're looking for income. Income is on your, uh, your IRS tax forms. So you're gonna be taking that directly from your forms. Assets on the FAFSA does not include the value of your home that you're living in. Mm -hmm. It does not include your 401k and your mm -hmm. Roth IRA, okay, or your SEP, if you, or, or your, whatever the actual retirement fund is. Now, if you have assets outside of that, that although you might be considering it for retirement, mm -hmm. FAFSA does not. Okay? Right. And so, I think that, that was probably the case because I did remember reading, um, you had written that before and I did make sure, you know, to, to do it as it was expected. Right. Um, and yes, things have changed. If things have changed greatly, then I would contact the college or university and uh -huh. let them know that, hey, yeah. our, our income has changed greatly. Our assets have changed greatly. Do you have a, a form for updating that yeah. so that we can get an, an accurate address, you know, addressing of the finances here? Yeah. Because that is I, important to be I, I actually do plan on doing that because um, my husband's salary decreased a lot from the year. I think they wanted 2019, the, you know, the, and, and 2020 was significantly less. Um, so I, I do plan on letting them know that, but as far as I know, you can correct, certainly correct me if I'm wrong, that will only like cover the one year and then like the next year it could change again, right? So his salary might, increase again hopefully so it would be, be one year that that hopefully they'll give a little more money um right. it's really a merit aid that is consistent right so um i guess again like my question is why like and i think these schools are pretty much on par like like he got for example stevens who's accepted to stevens right in hoboken mm -hmm. he got um a very nice merit aid package. You had 25,000 merit, zero in need-based aid. Whereas like, um, you know, Northeastern, which was the, he got the most need-based aid. He got 18,200 from, from Northeastern, um, you know, or excuse me, need-based aid and, and mm -hmm. 14,000 um, merit aid. So, but why, like I can see it's 11,000 less in merit aid, but 18,000, you know, more for Northeastern in the need-based aid, like I would think need-based aid would be pretty consistent. Nope, here's not. why. <laughs> nope, yeah. here's why. Okay, okay. first of all, you are correct that the need-based aid will change from one year to the next because it's using a particular, well, your assets and your income, which changes every single year. Mm -hmm. The available cash that they have also changes every single year, okay? Private schools are given well, basically alumni donate every year mm -hmm. and that can change. Let's face it. A lot of people had a lot of income changes this year and some may not be giving as much to the school this year because of that. Another thing to note is as, as well is that you can have two schools that their cost of attendance is identical. They both might be $70,000 or $60,000. But what I do, I could care less if a school says, I'm going to give you $30,000 over the course of four years, and this school's only given you $18,000, makes mm -hmm. no difference to me. I'm after the bottom line. Right. Okay. The, right. I, I, right. The bottom line is probably about, you know, um, 
Northeastern, it came to, I think, 41, and 50, it was 51 at, at Stevens, so it is a $10,000 difference. Mm-hmm. And but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I hear yeah. what you're saying. To me, the bottom line is the most important. So the bottom mm-hmm. line is how much money do I have to come up with for my kid? And the biggest chunk is going to come from the college your kid decides to attend. On the bottom of this page that you're going to, getaheadoftheclass.com forward slash capital CCFC. If you go all the way to the bottom, the very bottom is your list of free ride scholarships. I am only having this here for the next day or two. By the way, I I just wanted to quickly also just mention, like, thank you for that comment about the Honors College, because I I found that very helpful. (laughs) Good. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, that was helpful. Uh, This whole presentation has been very helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And if anyone has questions, I am perfectly fine with getting on a call with you and your spouse and your teen. And let's find out if this course is for you. I had a gentleman last year. I do a lot of things one time, like this workshop is a one-time thing. I'm never going to offer it for free again. If I offer it again at all, it will be at a price point. And a couple of years back, about a year and a half ago, I offered a sale on the Cracking the Code to Free College course. It was open for like a week. And a gentleman contacted me about four days after the sale was over, after it had closed. He had come in on a referral from a friend and or colleague rather. He said, my kid has been accepted to this school. He's got this amount of scholarships that we still need to come up with money. We just need scholarships. And I said, well, I've got this Cracking the Code to Free College course. I explained what it was. He said, can you just take the scholarship part out? That's really all I need is just to find scholarships. And this is what I told him. I could, but your teen won't win scholarships. Because what you don't realize is that finding scholarships is easy. I guarantee everybody that was on this call, if you put into action what I showed you today, you will find scholarships for your kids, period, that they can apply for. I've had people contact me or or see it in a post on a Facebook group or something. I've been looking for scholarships. All I find is need-based or all I find is this demographic. I said, give me 10 minutes and I can find at least three that your kid can apply to. I don't know if Google just knows I'm looking for scholarships and it just comes up because that's possible because we know Big Brother is watching or if it's just that I just know how to find them. I don't know. This gentleman, I said, look, I just closed this sale. I'll let you have it for the sale price, but you have to promise me you will not skip steps. Do not go straight to the scholarship, finding scholarship section. You have to promise you will start from the beginning and go all the way through. And he promised. Two months later, I happened to be rooming with his girlfriend, who was the one who referred me at a conference. And she said, oh, by the way, Mike says you're a genius. I just happened to have a knack for understanding what colleges are looking for and how to make this work for your child. (laughs) Yeah. Denise, you're right. Finding scholarships is one thing. Having a student portfolio that gets the attention that you want is something else altogether. And that's what we're developing in this course is not just finding scholarships, it's winning them. It's having colleges call you on the phone for crying out loud and say, we really want your kid here. It's, it was amazing to have that happen. And it happened on more than one occasion. And yes, thank you for mentioning that, Kathleen. The military discount, if Someone is a veteran, like it's got to be within within the family unit, though. I'm sorry, grandparents don't count. Wish it did, because my dad was a veteran, and it would have been great for my kids, but it doesn't work. Um, but if 
your husband, your, you yourself are a, a veteran here in the US or active duty, the cost for this course is dramatically reduced, dramatically. Instead of 1997, it's 497. I know a lot of military discounts give you 10%, 20 at best. I am such a patriot. I wish I could give it away to you for free. 497 for military vets or military active here in the US. Have you heard of bold.org? No, is that another scholarship database website? It's a new one, which may be useful to know. I'll take a look at it and see if it's, uh, if it's worth it because here's the deal. All the new stuff that keeps coming along, they're not gonna have millions of scholarships like FastWeb will. It's okay to be on them. It's definitely fine. Um, matter of fact, I could open my own scholarship database right now because I have companies calling me, hey, would you put this on your website? Would you put Why this not? on, you know? <laughs> because I don't wanna maintain it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Instead, when, when new ones come along, I, I give them to my people like here. Matter of fact, let me see if I can find this real quick. There is a scholarship that came up very recently it's a new scholarship for $500 and it is, I think it's actually available for students as young as 14 for this one. I think it's the right one I'm thinking of. So let me grab that and put that in here for you. I think it goes all the way, to, all the way through. Uh, I think this is the one that, that I'm thinking of that starts at age 14. And how long will the course be open to register? Uh, it'll be open to register at any point in time. However, the bonus for, to have 30 minutes of my time, which is an extra $250 value, that's gonna end in just three days. The course itself, the live course is going to begin this coming Thursday. So if you want to attend the live class, it would be great if you were able to uh, register sooner than later. You can always catch the replay. I will be definitely have that available to you as well. Question on stocks, someone asked earlier, do we put stock? No, if you have, when you're talking about filling out the FAFSA, now the CSS is a different story, okay? But for schools that are using the FAFSA profile, the only investments that you will put in there are outside of your retirement investments, outside of legitimate retirement investments. So you don't put your 401k, you don't put your, you know, anything to that nature, it's only outside of that. So if you've exceeded the maximum that your company can use or whatever, or your Roth, and you have additional stocks, that would go in. For example, um, when my dad passed away, his portfolio came to me. It is mine, but because it, I didn't put it in for a 401k for myself, it would count. Okay. Oh, and just a quick note on gifting money, because I know a lot of grandparents out there are helping out. Uh, you don't want the grandparent to give the money to the child because the money in the child's account counts at 20% in the calculations for the FAFSA. If it's in a parent's account, it counts right around 5.6% into your, into your EFC just for big numbers and easy numbers. Let's say that your student, uh, your, your grandparent has a hundred grand they're gonna give to your kid for college. Awesome. That hundred grand 
for your kid is going to increase your EFC by $20,000. If the 100 grand goes into the parent's account, it's going to increase the EFC by about $5,000. Huge, huge difference. So knowing that kind of information is really important. Yes, you can correct the FAFSA. Uh, you can make corrections if you can make corrections to the FAFSA itself, but when it comes to the college, if the college already has it, which at this point they should, and they're probably already making their offers to you, you need to contact the college or university themselves and say, hey, look, we, we've had some serious differences in uh, income and assets in the last year. So do you, you know, do you have a way of making those kinds of changes for the financial aid offer for my child? So you definitely want to ask. Is a second home considered an asset for FAFSA? Yes. The one you live in does not. The one you're in for the majority of the time does not count. But the one that you have that's an investment property or that is your place in the country or whatever, that counts as an asset. Okay. Any other questions? I've loved this. You guys have been great. Looking forward to seeing you. You too, sweetie. Yes, Sally. There are scholarships for uh, children of cancer survivors, for uh, deceased parents, for, uh, and there are scholarships for children who have had cancer. There are scholarships for children who know someone, doesn't even have to be in the family, who had cancer. And they, there's an essay. So all kind of stuff, people, all kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to working with you. Let's get on that website and register, sign up. I love you all. You have a wonderful afternoon. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.